Let's take our Bibles, go to Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. The message this morning has some practical as well as some theological truths in it, some things that no doubt each and every one of us can relate to as we all go through this in life. I don't think anyone makes it through life without having to experience one of the things that we're going to be talking about here this morning. Let's go ahead and read our text, Acts chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 1. And as they spake unto the people, this is Peter and John still preaching, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. It says in verse 2, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Of course, he's speaking of the lame man in chapter 3, that when Peter and John came by there in the temple, he's begging of an uh, alms. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And of course, this is what created such a stir among the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders, and that's why they're being questioned here in the narrative of Acts chapter number 4. And then it says here in, um, in uh, where did I leave off here? Verse number 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this, uh, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, 
saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they had heard that, that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. The message today is entitled, Rejection, Paving the Road to Redemption. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for Peter and John. Thank you, Lord, for this man that you worked miraculously and healed him of his lame condition. Thank you, Lord, for these in verse number four, the many that believed the word and were saved and added to the church. Now, thank you, Lord, for these that have come here to church today. And I pray, Father, that you would bless us. I pray that the word of God would speak to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would work. Uh, use us for your glory and honor. Use us to be a help to meet the needs of each individual here today. I pray for each one here that is without Christ as Savior, that you would speak to their heart and draw them in your love and in your convicting power. Show them their need. Show them the solution. I pray, Father, for all of your people today as we study and hear the Word of God. I pray that our hearts would be taught that our spirits would be strengthened, Lord, that we'd be better servants for you because of what we hear today. Guide us and direct us and bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Rejection, paving the road to redemption. When I think about paving, whether it's an interstate, whether it's a country highway, whether it's a driveway, a sidewalk, or a patio, if you've ever done any paving whatsoever, you know that it requires a lot of preparation and a lot of process. I remember the first time that I put in brick pavers to 
just a little pathway that went out of our side garage door to the backyard and uh, just to put those brick pavers in and it required setting up some forms. You had to fill it with sand. You had to level it. You had to place all of those bricks in there just right. They weren't just right. You'd have to pull them out. You'd have to re-level the sand. You'd have to pack it in there and then you'd have to spread sand over the top of those pavers and let the sand kind of fall into the cracks and then you'd sweep off all the loose sand. It took a lot of preparation. It took a lot of process in order to pave that road. In life, something that we don't like often paves the road to our redemption. When I think about rejection, listen, when it comes to rejection, no one naturally likes it. In fact, rejection can be one of the worst experiences in our life. I study in history that many men are motivated by rejection, while others are crushed by it. Down deep, we all have to be honest and say we dislike it. No one likes to be rejected. You've heard of the book or series of books entitled Chicken Soup for the Soul. Most people don't realize that that book was rejected by publishers 140 times before it was ever published. Now probably almost everybody has heard of this Chicken Soup for the Soul series of books. Fred Astaire, I know some of you, maybe the younger people, don't know who we're talking about, but most of us here know who Fred Astaire was. He was rejected by MGM Studios. They said of him, he can act, he's slightly bald, he can dance a little. Steven Spielberg, everybody here has heard of Steven Spielberg. He applied to film school at both UCLA and USC. He was turned down both times. And then Charles Schultz, the Peanuts cartoonist. He had every single one of his cartoons rejected by his high school yearbook staff. Rejection, rejection, rejection. There's a lot of rejection that goes on in the passage that we just read. Before we get to that rejection, I want to remind you of all of the characters that we find in our text. In verse number 1, it talks about they. That refers to Peter and John. They are speaking to the people. The people refers to the crowd that is gathered at the temple. Now, no doubt when this lame man who was well known, he'd been sitting there uh, for year after year after year, and it seems like everybody in the community knew who he was. When they saw him walking and leaping and praising God, they, a crowd started to gather, and no doubt people started talking. They didn't have social media back then. They didn't have television or radio, but back then, if you heard something or saw something that was miraculous, the word would spread very, very quickly. Next thing you know, there are literally thousands and thousands of people that are gathered around wanting to know what's going on and knowing what, they want to know what Peter and John have to say. If many of them rejected what was going on, but yet verse four says that many heard the word and believed and that was five thousand. Listen, the whole crowd didn't receive the word. And so I would say that you could make an argument that there's at least 10,000 
of the people that are gathered around. And then, of course, we have the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees. That's the established religious hierarchy. That's the organized religion, if you will, of that day. And then in verse 7, in verse number 9, we have the lame man who shows up once again. These are all the characters that we find in our text. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is the rejection of the man that was healed. Look with me once again in verse number 14 down through verse 17. Beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Now, what are you going to say when a man who was born lame couldn't use his legs? Not only was he healed, but he didn't even have to go through rehabilitation. He didn't have to go through a physical torture. I mean, therapy. Ther- therapy is just a fancy word for torture. He didn't have to go through any of that. His legs had never worked. I mean, you've got total muscle atrophy, and yet when God healed him, he's walking and he's leaping. I wonder what his vertical leap was. Maybe Michael Jordan category? I don't know. All I know is that it was a notable miracle, and they saw what's going on, and they couldn't say anything against it. I know as a a Christian... As a preacher, I love it when God shows up and when the scorners and the scoffers and the doubters just have nothing to say. I mean, listen, when God shuts a person's mouth, his mouth is shut. And I like it when that happens, when God shows up and, you know, this whole culture that we live in today, not only the world outside of Christianity, but almost the world inside of Christianity has this mentality that everything that's true has to be proven to them, to their satisfaction. As if God, the creator of the universe, is being placed on trial in the courtroom of man's opinion. Now you can... Try God, if you will. There's times when the Lord challenges us to put Him to the test. There's a number of different things. God says, yeah, put me to the test. I'll prove to you that I'll do what I say I'll do. I'll prove to you that I am who I say that I am. But when man approaches God with that challenging type attitude, I find that God's just usually pretty silent. Because he doesn't have anything to prove. I got news for you. Whether you're in that category or a loved one is in that category or somebody that you meet out in public is in that category. Whether it's somebody that's taught you in college. Whether it's somebody that's standing behind a pulpit in a liberal church today. I got news for all of us that one day we're going to be standing before, before God in His courtroom. And it's not going to be us saying, God, explain yourself to us. It's going to be God saying, you better explain yourself to me. And if you believe the Word of God, this Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, I'm looking forward to that day. 
I'm looking forward to that day because I've already done it in my heart. I've already said Jesus is Lord. I've accepted Him as my Lord. I have made Him my Lord. He may be your Savior. You might have received Him as your Savior, but have you made Him your Lord? If you haven't today, you ought to, because one day every knee and every tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's kind of like the old commercial, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. But it's a whole lot better to offer that to the Lord today and just bow our knee, bow our heart and say, Lord, I I accept You as Lord. You are God and I'm not. And we might as well prepare for that day when we will be judged by Him. They couldn't say anything against what they had seen. Look with me at verse number 16. They says, saying, what shall we do to these men? For then indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them. We cannot deny it, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Now, how would you like to be this man who was lame that's now healed? And all of these religious leaders are kind of standing around and you're walking around and you're rejoicing and they're over here whispering, so what, what do we do about this? You know what, I think about these men and you know what is very apparent to me? They were interested in their agenda, but they weren't interested in the truth. Because the truth is walking around and leaping and praising God right before their very eyes. And they couldn't deny it. They couldn't explain it. But they just wanted the whole thing to go away. Why? Because their religious agenda was more important than the truth. A couple days ago, a 20-year-old man with a rifle, handgun, body armor was arrested at Walmart Republic Avenue in Springfield, Missouri. Springfield police say he had over 100 rounds of ammunition. What happened? An off-duty firefighter with a concealed-to-carry gun held him at gunpoint until the officers arrived about three minutes later. I heard that and I said, yes! Here's a 20-year-old kid walking into a Walmart. You don't walk in with a 100-plus rounds and body armor and an assault rifle and a pistol and not be planning on doing something really, really bad. This fireman got a concealed to carry. He's one of the good guys. It's not the, the guns that's the problem. It's the good guys and it's the bad guys. The good guy had a gun, and he put that gun in that 20-year-old kid's face and said, you better not move. And he called the police, and his whole wicked agenda was thwarted. What? You didn't hear about that on CNN? (gasps) I can't believe that. I I I heard that, and I thought, that's... That's one of the most notable news events that I've heard in years. 
I'm like, yeah, that's great. That's American. Most people haven't even heard about it. It happened two days ago. You know what the problem is? Is that people have an agenda and they're not interested in the truth. And God can show up and can work miracles, but they're still going to stick with their agenda. I wonder how this man must have felt when he's healed and he's rejoicing and instead of other people rejoicing with him because something that God did, but rather he's being put on trial and being whispered about and the powers that be just want this whole thing to go away and they want his mouth to be shut so that nobody else finds out about this. That's rejection. Secondly, I want to talk about the rejection of the preachers. Peter and John are faithfully preaching the Word of God. And folks, I can't think of a single prophet or preacher that wasn't rejected by somebody. Now, there might be somebody, but I I, I thought about it, and I spent a pretty good time thinking about it and going through. I didn't read the whole Bible, but I just kind of went through the prophets that I could think of in the Bible, and I can't think of a single one that wasn't rejected somewhere along the line by somebody. One thing I've tried to do as a preacher is try to ignore the quantity of rejection. By the way, you know, rejection and compliments can sometimes be equal imposters. The people who compliment you and praise you for the most part, they don't know what they're talking about. You're not as good as they think that you are. And then the people who reject you and criticize you, they don't know what they're talking about either. You're not near as bad as your enemies think that you are. And so we need to be, if we're going to be faithful to the Lord, we need to try to ignore the rejection. One thing I try to do is not focus on the quantity of rejection, but the quality of the people who reject me. That's what you got to worry about. It's not how many people don't like you. You got to look at the character and the quality of the people that don't like you. If it's good, godly Christians that are kind of down on you and criticizing you, we might want to step back and say, hey, maybe I got something that needs to be fixed. But I have had times where, hey, nobody likes rejection. There's been times when uh, I felt just a little bit down and out because somebody didn't want to be under my ministry, somebody didn't like my preaching, somebody didn't like my personality or whatever, and I've been pretty down and out about it, kind of spiritually sucking my thumb just a little bit, and it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of, the lights just come on and just think, now wait a minute, let me think about what I know about those people. It's like, well, of course they're not going to like me. They're not good Christians. Hey, if worldly people criticize you, that shouldn't bother us. We should be thinking, well, of course they're not going to like what I stand for if we're standing for the truth. Don't focus on how many people dislike you. Focus on why they dislike you and the quality of their character and their spirituality. And you know what? 
it'll kind of give you some relief. Why would Peter and John be worried about these religious... I'm trying to think of a name to call them that's appropriate. (laughs) I'm not having bad words in my mind. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to... These jerks. Why would they worry about what these jerks think about them? They should expect it. And sometimes we have this mentality that we want everybody to like us. If you don't have a lot of people here and there that dislike you, you're probably not walking very close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we walk close to the Lord Jesus Christ, there are people that don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not going to love you. Brother Sharp and I standing on the street corner yesterday there toward the end of street ministry and standing there, we're just talking a little bit and right within about five feet right in front of us, somebody drives by, got the window down, got piercings and inkings all over him and he yells out, Satan rules. Just really loud and I'm like, I'm like, well, I hope you're proud of yourself. You know, that you're, you're, you're praising the loser who's going to end up in the lake of fire. And, and I don't know if he said that to try to intimidate us or to offend us or whatever. I just thought, whatever. In verse number 2, it says that they were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. We take that for granted. We can preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can preach the resurrection of the dead. But when Peter and John were preaching that through Jesus, Jesus resurrected, through Jesus we're going to be resurrected, this was very contrary to what the powers that be. The Sadducees were the ones that were in power in the Jewish temple and the Jewish synagogues. They were the ones that were teaching that there is no resurrection. There are no uh, no beings in the spirit world. And, and sometimes you wonder if there's no resurrection, why did it matter to them? It's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Why were they so defensive over something that when it's all said and done, it's not going to matter? You know why? It's because of their agenda and because of their pride. They felt threatened. You know, we don't have to feel threatened over anybody because we're serving the God of the universe. Here a while back, we were on street ministry once again, and me and brother, brother Scott talked to an atheist, a guy I've been praying for uh, almost daily ever since. And he came up and boy, he was very, very vocal about his atheism. He was very, very vocal about his hatred of God. He told me when I said, well, what, what if I'm right? And he says, well, if you're right when you stand, you know, when you see God and I'm in hell, he said, tell God that I hate him. And I thought, wow, how can you say that? And, and I don't know if he was trying to intimidate me or what he was trying to do, but you know, there are teachings and beliefs that are biblical that the world rejects. And those are the ones that are hard to stand for. There are social agendas. There's political correctness. There is 
I mean, you talk about all kinds of things, gender issues, sexuality issues that are contrary to the Word of God. And our culture tries to make us ashamed or afraid to stand for what's right and what's true. Now listen, I I don't believe that we need to go out there and pick fights with people. But I know one thing, as I'm preaching through the Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, if I come across something that maybe you won't be happy about, might ruffle your feathers, might cause a visitor to leave the church, hey, if I preach and teach the truth, and I tell it like it is, hopefully it will be with love and compassion. I I don't want my personality to offend people. But if the truth offends anyone and everyone, we should stand for the truth. Peter and John are preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and these Sadducees, they didn't want it. They hated it. And by the way, we read from the Bible that there were a minimum, a minimum of 513 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus after the resurrection. 513. See how that would fly in a court of law. You get 513 eyewitnesses, you're going to win your case. But once again, the world and the religious crowd, they're interested in their agenda rather than truth. Verse number 7 says here, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, by what name have ye done this? You know what they're saying? They're saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to preach contrary to what we believe? We are the Sanhedrin. We are the religious leaders. We are the Sadducees. We're in power. Who do you think you are? Look at verse number 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, it says they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, they're not saying that they're necessarily mentally challenged. They're saying that you don't know anything. You didn't go to our seminary. You didn't go to our Bible school. You you weren't taught by us. You're just a bunch of fishermen from Galilee. You're ignorant. You don't know anything. It says here that they marveled. Where's your education? Where's your credentials? Where's your PhD? I have a PhD in my shed. It's a post hole digger. It works. I... Anyhow, I'm going to move on, okay? In verse 17 and 18, they, they commanded them. They're saying, stop this nonsense. When it comes to being rejected for what we believe, being rejected for what we stand for, being rejected for what we preach, before I move on to the next point, I want to give you two Bible verses that you ought to hide them in your heart because it will help you deal with public opinion, criticism, rejection, and so forth. Proverbs 29, verse number 25 says, The fear of man bringeth 
a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. We're afraid of what men will do to us. If we're afraid of what men will say about us, we're afraid of what men think about us. I wonder what they think about me. You know, they're probably not. They're probably doing the same thing that you're doing right now. They're thinking of themselves too. The fear of man, it brings a snare. It's a trap. We don't see it. Traps and snares are hidden. And snares are like a, a wire that once you walk through that, they tighten up. And the more that you try to tug against it, the tighter that it becomes until they begin to just strangulate and cut off your life. The fear of man bringeth a snare. We ought to put our trust in the Lord rather than the opinion of man. John 12, verse 43, Jesus is addressing people that believed that He was the Messiah, but they were just being kind of um, incognito. They were secret spies, secret disciples. Jesus said of them, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. I don't think that everybody ought to jump on everybody else's bandwagon. I know that every Saturday we go downtown and we hold gospel signs. I know that some people think that's ineffective and some people, they love it. you got people who love it, people that hate it. Some people think that you're just being a fool. Some people think that we're, we're a bad marketing agent for the Lord. Listen, we're not here to market. We're here to preach the gospel. But whether you like it or not, whether you participate in it or not, if you're a believer and you don't participate in it because you're afraid that people will think that you're some kind of a weirdo, that's where the problem is right there. And if you're not, you say, well, that's just not my thing. I'm, I'm ministering in other things. I'll go knock on doors, but I don't want to hand, stand on a street corner. That's fine. You don't have to jump on everybody's bandwagon. I think that every believer ought to be a witness, but I believe every believer is a witness in a different way. But the problem lies is if you're ashamed because you don't want people to think that you're some kind of a weirdo. So you just stay really, really private with your Christianity. You just live, you're just such a wonderful Christian that you every day wait in your living room for someone to come and knock on your door and you can tell them how they can be as wonderful as you are. And that's happened how many times? It hasn't happened. So what do we need to do? We need to be witnesses for the Lord like Peter and John and we need to let people know that we're servants of Jesus Christ. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. People don't need to see uh, your wonderful character. Yeah, they need to see that, but that's not good enough in and of itself. People need to hear the gospel, the good news preached to them because God said He chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So, well, that's your job, preacher. No, that's not what... The Lord's saying, the Lord's saying it's every Christian's job to preach the gospel. You may do it one-on-one with your family. You may do it to somebody that you knock on their door. Hey, 
that's the only... Uh, let me move on. You, you can be a woman preacher. In that respect, as far as preaching, witnessing, telling people, i got to be careful what I say here. People are going to take me wrong. So beware of the fear of man. Beware of the praise of men. Number three, let's talk about the response to rejection by Peter and John. In verse 8 through 10, Peter's put on the spot. They point blank ask him about the resurrection. They give him a golden opportunity to start preaching and to tell them the truth. And in verse 13, we find that uh, he responded by preaching to them with boldness. Boldness is lacking in modern Christianity. God's people are not bold today. Seems like the ones that you do find that are bold, uh, many of them are obnoxious. We don't have to be obnoxious to be bold. But we can speak up and we can speak out and we can tell people and we can do it with kindness and we can do it with courtesy. I don't think that Peter got up and started just gritting his teeth and you know giving them this venomous talk. I think that he just answered their questions and told them that, you know what, you killed him. You killed Jesus. But God resurrected him. And he just point blank with boldness told them the truth. How do we get boldness? Well, there's several different ways that all work together to give us boldness. I know I've had times in my life where I wish that I had the boldness that I've seen other men and other preachers have. There's been time when times when I thought, man, I wish I could get up and preach as bold as that person can. And you know what I found over experience? I found that number one, experience will give you boldness. The more that you speak up and speak out for the Lord, the easier it becomes. You lose some of that self-consciousness. You lose some of that nervousness. You start to be able to just relax and be yourself. How many times have I been around somebody that is so shy in a public gathering that you can't hardly get a grunt out of them, you get them around their family or just a one-on-one conversation and they're comfortable and it's like, take a breath. You know what it is? We're, we're comfortable. And you know what? The more that we get around people, the more that we witness, the more that we tell people about Jesus Christ, the more experience will tend to give us a little more boldness. Peter had the experience of past failures. Peter carried around some scars, and they were very deep scars. And I guarantee you, when the opportunity came up to deny the Lord, you ever had a scar that years later actually gets tender and sore? I got pins in my ankle where uh, I broke my ankle playing hockey at a spiral break. They put three pins in it. I think Brother Coppinger's got about the same kind of thing in his ankle from hockey. Hey, compadre. (laughs) Sometimes that scar will just start hurting and it'll get tender. I guarantee you that Peter's scar, whenever he was faced with public ridicule, 
or looking bad, I guarantee you that scar got a little bit tender, just a little bit sensitive. And you know what it did? It reminded him of the pain that he suffered. Oh, how many? I mean, three days and three nights while Jesus was in the heart of the earth. The last thing, I mean, before Peter saw him die on Calvary's cross, the last interaction that Peter had with Jesus was when the cock crowed that third time. And the Bible says that the Lord looked upon Peter. Just saw that that look. Didn't say a word, just looked. Don't you know that that made a just a, a, a picture in Peter's mind that he couldn't shake? You know what? The experience of that he carried into the rest of his life and the rest of his ministry, I don't find anywhere but what Peter didn't preach with boldness because of that past failure. We see here in our scriptural text here that being filled with the Holy Ghost will give you boldness. You start walking close to the Lord. You start confessing and forsaking sin and worldliness and selfishness in your life. You start doing the right things, living the right way, and letting the Holy Spirit fill you and praying and reading the Word of God, you'll find that that boldness will start coming out. And that relationship with Jesus, we read it already there in verse number 13, it says they took note of them. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You ever been around a saint of God, a believer that you know spends time with Jesus? It shows. Kind of like Moses when he came down off of the mount that second time, the Bible says that his face shone. His face was so shining that they had to put a veil over his face. Moses didn't know it. Moses didn't recognize it, but everybody else did. Listen, brothers and sisters, the more time that we spend with Jesus, the more that our life will shine. We may not realize it. We may think, man, I just, I don't feel, I, in fact, I, sometimes the closer we get to God, the worse we feel about ourselves. This modern Christianity that's all psychology repackaged trying to make us feel, have a good self-esteem and feel good about ourselves, that's so contrary to the Scripture, it's not even funny. We're not supposed to be thinking about ourselves at all. We're supposed to be thinking about God. We're supposed to be thinking about others. That's that's the, the, the esteem that we need to have. Spending time with Jesus will give you boldness. How else did they respond? In verse 19 through 20, we find that they had total disregard for lower authorities. These uh, religious leaders commanded and threatened them, don't you preach in this name anymore. You know what Peter and John did? They went out and preached in His name. Right away. I mean, we're going to see here in the next couple chapters, early on in the book of Acts, these religious leaders are fit to be tied. They said, you know, we're going to see here in the near future, they're going to throw them in jail again. They're going to beat them. They're going to persecute them. Why? Because they're preaching in the name of Jesus. Romans 13 says that we're supposed to 
submit to the higher powers. But in this case, these powers were a lower authority because God had told them point blank, go and preach Jesus Christ. If a human authority tries to tell you to do something that contradicts a higher authority, Peter and John said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Verse 23 through verse 28, we find that their rejection... Let's read it here. It says, "...and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them." When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God in one accord. Look at verse 25. It says, "...who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things?" You know what that rejection did? It paved the way for them to understand the Scripture in a way that they didn't previously understand. They knew now what David was talking about when he said, Why did the heathen rage? Don't be afraid of rejection. Don't let rejection define who you are. Don't spend your entire life trying to protect yourself from rejection and always having to have everyone's acceptance. Rejection is the pavement on the road to redemption. In conclusion, I want to draw your attention to what I believe is probably the most important part of this text, and I've saved it for last for that very reason, we find that the rejection was not just of Peter and John and the lame man, but the rejection that was the most devastating was the rejection of the cornerstone. Verse number 10 Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. They rejected their cornerstone. They rejected their Messiah. They rejected Jesus Christ. Johann David Michaelis was a German theologian. He was devoted to much study of Jewish history and culture. He claims, I don't know if this is true or not, no way of researching it, but he claims that during the building of Solomon's temple, if you recall reading about Solomon's temple, all of the stones were were, uh, sculptured, formed, and fitted off-site. There on the Temple Mount, there wasn't the noise of a single instrument or tool. All of this was off-site. And then they would deliver those stones to be placed together where they belong, piece by piece. The Jewish builders found a stone that didn't seem to fit anywhere. They figured that it was a mistake. They figured that there was maybe somebody read the plans or wasn't communicated. So there on that Temple Mount, they took that stone, and to get it out of the way, they rolled it down into the Kidron Valley. Kidron Valley is often known for the place where where you put all of the trash. They rolled it down. Well, as they continue to 
lay the foundation and to put the building together, they noticed that the cornerstone was missing. Lo and behold, they found that the cornerstone, the most important stone of the entire building, was something that they didn't perceive it to be what it was, and so they just rolled it off the hill down into the brook. Well, obviously, they fetched it back when it was retrieved. Praise the Lord, it fit perfectly in its place. John chapter 1 and verse number 11 says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But praise God, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. There are men who reject Jesus out of ignorance. There are men who reject Jesus because of foolishness. There are men who reject Jesus out of passiveness. They don't intend to reject Him forever. They just keep putting Him off. Maybe later. Not ready. They keep waiting. But nevertheless, they're still rejecting Him. There are men who reject Jesus out of fear. And that fear can take on numerous, numerous forms. But as we close... I'd like for you to consider Him. Let's quit thinking about ourselves, and let's think about Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse number 3 says, For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. I can't think of a single human being in all of human history who suffered more rejection than our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only human being that ever lived sinlessly. He's the only human being that was perfect. He's the only human being that performed the miracles that He performed. And yet, what did they do to Him? They put Him on a cross, a cruel, brutal cross. Not only did they crucify Him, but they mocked Him, they spit upon Him, they shamed Him. And He endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. We need to consider Him and the rejection that He suffered. Have you suffered rejection? So did He. David wrote in Psalm 27, verse number 10, He said, When my father and my mother forsake me. And that's some pretty painful rejection right there. When mama and papa forsake us. He says, then the Lord will take me up. Sometimes rejection can be the pathway. Somebody that's important to us. We suffer rejection. Well, the good news is, is that when we come to the Lord, He will never, ever reject us. His rejection paved the way to your redemption. We read in John 6, verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If you'll come to Jesus, you don't ever have to be afraid that He'll reject you. He will receive you if you will receive Him. One last thought, and we'll close. Verse number 12. Notice the very last four words. It says, whereby we must be saved. 
the name of Jesus, there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is a must kind of thing. It's not a plan A or a plan B or a plan C. It's the only plan because Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life whereby we must be saved. Would you bow your heads as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we consider you this morning. Oftentimes the devil causes us a lot of confusion. We think about our heartaches and our broken hearts and our sorrows and when men have rejected us, men that have hurt us. We consider what you did for us, Lord. That ought to change our hearts. That ought to calm our fears to know that your rejection paved the way to our redemption. Lord, that road is straight and narrow, but it's so crystal clear. Perhaps there'd be someone here today, Lord, that you have opened up that way and they know that they need to be saved today. I pray, Father, that they would make that decision and not reject you not reject you today. Maybe they've rejected you many times yesterday, the day before, years ago. But I pray, God, that you'd not be rejected today. Thank you for the cross of Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for the redemption that you have provided for us. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you remain seated with your heads bowed, eyes closed? If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you know there's been a time in your life when you repented of your sins and asked Jesus to be your Savior. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony? I know that I'm saved. Thank you. I see hands all throughout the congregation. God bless you. You can put your hands down. If you're here this morning and you couldn't raise your hand, I'd like to pray for you this morning. Uh, We want to do everything we can to help you to know Christ as your personal Savior. You don't know that there's ever been a time when you've trusted Him as Savior. Would you slip your hand up? Say, preacher, would you pray for me? I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I've accepted Him. I'd like for you to pray for me. Would anyone here be honest and say, pray for me, preacher? Anyone, just slip your hand up. No one else is looking. I promise you, I'm not going to single you out. I won't even say anything to you afterward. I just simply want to pray for you. If you are interested in your soul, if you're interested in eternity, whether you're ready or not, ready or not to receive Him today, certainly it couldn't hurt to have prayer for your soul. Anyone here? Raise your hand and say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I'm not sure that I'm saved. All right, let's stand to our feet. Our invitation song is hymn number 261 in your hymnal 261. The altar and invitation is open. If God spoke to your heart and you'd like to come down here and pray, then we invite you to come as we sing.